Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about missing persons and UFOs in Shenandoah National Park. That's correct, missing persons and UFOs in Shenandoah National Park. And asking, is there a connection here between these missing people, UFOs, and even Bigfoot. Now, this first article that we're looking at comes to us from thesun.com. The title says, Missing Link Inside Seven Mysterious Missing Person Cases Who Disappeared Around Notorious Bigfoot Haunt, Shenandoah National Park. And this is written by Forrest McFarlane, dated March 13, 2023. It begins by saying, Over 1,000 people have been reported missing in national parks since they were established in 1916. Several chilling missing person cases started in Shenandoah National Park, a 200,000-acre piece of Virginia land with high peaks, rushing rivers, wild waterfalls, and a surprising link to the elusive cryptid Bigfoot. Now, if you look on a map, you can see this is toward the northern part of the state, very rugged, mountainous area. Several people have disappeared in the Shenandoah National Forest, it says, which is notorious for alleged Bigfoot sightings, even has a crossing sign here for a Bigfoot, says Bigfoot Crossing. While mainly known for its immaculate beauty, the swaths of East Coast woods are also notorious for alleged Bigfoot sightings. Though some visit to search for the legendary creature, most people come just for a casual hike. However, this doesn't always go as planned. One terrifying disappearance in the park involves a Shenandoah National Park Ranger who went missing in 1987. Well, you'd think that if anybody would know the way around, it would be a park ranger. M.N. was known as an experienced hiker who traveled nearly all the grueling Appalachian Trail. However, his family revealed after his disappearance that he also struggled with mental health. A massive 200-volunteer search was launched to look for the ranger, but the only sign of him was his pack, journal, personal belongings, empty drug containers, and running shoes. The drugs were not dangerous, but could cause hallucinations if taken together in excess. There was no sign in his journal that pointed to suicidal ideation. After days of no sign, the search was reduced to just 50 people, but then the missing ranger was spotted. A father and son reported seeing him in and said he was on the trail heading south with just his socks on. Unfortunately, the search grew cold again even after volunteers found his backpack, boots, pants, and a stick with his initials. His body has yet to be found. Now, they say maybe this guy had some issues. I mean, I don't know. But what gets me about this story is that he was spotted walking with just his socks on. Something that we see happening over and over again with these David Pilates uh, investigations where these folks are found with no shoes on or just wearing their socks. Just doesn't make any sense. 
It just says here the next one. Another terrifying story involved a 12-year-old boy named Donnie Wentz who disappeared in 1992 after he was separated from his church group. The kid, who was an inexperienced hiker, wandered around the woods for two days and survived the frigid temperatures by sleeping under leaves and eating butterfingers. He hiked during the day and spent the nights finding shelter and warmth below rock overhangs. Eventually, Donnie found a park ranger and told him that he was tired and worried about missing wrestling practice. The ranger got the child into a vehicle and warmed him before a paramedic evaluated his injuries. After two days of surviving in the wilderness, he was in perfect health and only suffered from cuts and scrapes and very minor hypothermia. He told the ranger that he got lost while trying to race his friends back to the parking lot. Wow. So it's almost like you want this kid didn't have missing time or something. He's gone for a couple of days. It seems a little bit sketchy about what exactly happened. And then tells us that he got lost while trying to race his friends back to the parking lot. In 2012, another hiker disappeared, but it's unclear exactly why he went missing. Robbie Fitzgerald was on a three-mile hike on Shenandoah Mountain when he lost his cell phone and shirt. It's believed he may have gotten lost after returning to find his phone. Despite a massive search of the area, his body has yet to be recovered. He was an experienced hiker and had a trail pack inside his car that was found left at the trailhead. Just two years later, Michael Hugh Camaletti was reported missing after he went on a hike in Standardsville. The Army vet's vehicle was discovered a week later with a note on the windshield. He wrote that he was planning on hiking a north-south route in the Mongahalaya National Forest and would be back in four days, but he was never seen again. Wow, that's so strange. Kem Letty was an experienced hiker, and it's believed that he could have changed his plans mid-trip and gotten lost. Another seasoned outdoorsman who disappeared was Earl Funk, the Staunton resident who went missing in Shenandoah in 2008 despite living in a cabin very close to the park and spending countless hours in the woods. A massive search eventually found Funk's hat, machete, boot, tent, stake, and ATV. His body was later discovered. It was determined that he sadly succumbed to environmental exposure amid an especially cold October. Just makes you wonder how his boot came off, though, and how he lost all this stuff. It's almost like they're just scattered about. In the fall of 2017, a different hiker named David Wayne Harding vanished just two miles from Shenandoah. The 62-year-old had glaucoma that required medical that required medication, meaning that he was considered endangered missing by park officials. Despite rangers closing park trails for an intense search, his body was never recovered. He is still actively considered missing. And finally, a 32-year-old Waynesboro woman named Melissa Torgensen vanished without a trace on July 1, 2016. It wasn't until six weeks later that her sister reported her missing. The California native had been hiking less than five miles from Shenandoah, it was never seen again. Police believe that no foul play was involved and have suggested that the intense temperatures could have caused heat exhaustion. It seems like they always go to the temperature or the environmental conditions if they can't explain these things. What I don't understand is when they don't find the bodies for, you know, weeks and weeks, uh, how would they even know what's going on? Now, there's a couple of different things that come to mind when these missing person cases come up and there's just no explanation or when they seem like they have missing time. A lot of people think maybe there's some sort of UFO phenomenon involved. Also, maybe there's some sort of Bigfoot phenomena which is connected to the UFOs. 
I thought this was an interesting article from BFRO.net, BFORO.net. That's Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. I'll put the links over at the Ko-Fi, and I've been trying to get this Buy Me a Coffee site figured out. We'll try to get them over there as well. The last time I wasn't able to do that. Uh, thanks to all the people that support over there, though, by the way. Now, this is from uh, BFRO, like I said. It says, Report number 24569, Class A, submitted by witness on Thursday, August 21st, 2008. A couple remembers their daylight sighting while driving through the Shenandoah National Park many years ago. This happened back, it says, 1970, summer, month, September. So I guess that would be late summer. Nearest town, Strasburg, nearest road. Not sure if it was at the top of Skyline Drive. Observed, my husband and I were traveling west, going over Skyline Drive in Virginia, near Strasburg. This was many years ago, 1970. We saw a large, hairy thing. It looked like some of the pictures we have seen about Bigfoot. We were so shocked, we just stopped and then looked at each other and said, what was that? We still remember this as if it happened yesterday. We know it was not a bear because it ran on two legs. It crossed the road in front of us and then ran down the side of the road and into the woods. We were young and never knew who to tell about it, so it was just something we'd tell family and friends about. Sure wish we'd had a camera then. People would be believers. We definitely are. Also noticed it looked right at us as it ran across the road and down past the car and did not stop or act as if it were afraid. Basically, it just ignored us and kept going. Wow. Two witnesses. It says one driving, one riding. Other stories. No time, conditions, daylight. It says the environment, pine forest close to the top of the mountain, about 200 feet up the road, was a baby fawn eating grass. Well, maybe this thing was out there hunting. I don't know. It says in the follow-up, it says, This incident occurred with both Mr. and Mrs. J as witnesses, and after speaking to Mr. J, he had these details to add. In the summer of 1970, while traveling in their car through the Shenandoah National Park, about one hour outside of Washington, D.C., Mr. J noticed a figure running through a field on the left side of the road heading toward the highway. Seeing the figure, Mr. J pointed it out to his wife, while at the same time slowing the car down to a crawl, since it appeared that the figure was going to intersect them. The bipedal creature was heading straight toward them and crossed the road approximately 10 foot in front of the slowed vehicle. If Mr. J had not slowed down, he feels that he would have certainly hit the creature. Mr. J describes the bipedal creature as being about 6 feet tall, 300 pounds, lanky yet stocky, heavily muscled with broad, with broad shoulders, it was covered with a deepish brown covering of hair that was about two to three inches in length that appeared muddy and unkept around its chest. He did not notice this face, the shape of its head, or the details of its feet. He stated that the arms were long and that while running, the arms swung forward and back with its hands turned downward. When asked how many strides it took to cross the road, Mr. J could not be sure, but he was adamant that it was too fast for a person and that it never went down on all fours while it ran. He stated that it ran like a linebacker going for a goal, and that it never slowed down, even while crossing the road before them. Once on the other side of the road, it went straight up a steep embankment, and they quickly lost sight of it in the dense foliage. Mr. J added that it was about 7.30 a.m., and that there was good lighting, and that the weather was clear. He stated that overall they saw the creature for about 10 to 15 seconds. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. 
Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Wow, that must have been just an amazing sighting just to be driving along the, through the forest like that and see this thing just, you know, jump up there and be like right, right, right in the middle of your world. Now, being in the car would be one thing, but hiking and seeing one of these things, that's quite another. Now, it's not just Bigfoot and missing people. That's so strange. It's kind of almost like it forms this vortex there in the Shenandoah National Park. We have a lot of UFO sightings and some pretty famous ones. This one I found from whv.com, whsv.com. It says, the story of the alleged 1964 Fisherville UFO landing and the chaos that ensued. Now, it's got a video here, too. You can watch with it. This article is written by Jacob Fife. It's dated April 25th, 2023. It says, Augusta County, Virginia. It's December 21st, 1964, and things are quiet in the Shenandoah Valley. Gunsmith Horace Burns is heading toward Fisherville from Staunton on Route 250 when his vehicle starts to mess up. What he's about to see will change the valley for the next six months. The story of Burns' encounter was published in several newspapers from the valley all the way to Richmond, but this version comes from the Flying Saucer Investigating Committee of Akron, Ohio. The article states that Burns was near the Woodrow Wilson Center when he saw a metallic object coming from the north, and when it passed ahead of him, Burns said the engine in his car stopped. He claimed his car came to an unnaturally quick stop, and he watched the craft land gently in a field about 100 yards back from the road. He's driving along here, 1964. Car just stops. He sees this UFO land in a field. The article says Burns got out of the vehicle and watched the craft, which he described as an upside-down spinning-top toy, and was about 125 feet wide and about 90 feet high. Burns claimed to see a bluish glow from under the object, but he couldn't see any doors, windows, landing gear, or people inside. After about 60 to 90 seconds, the craft made a whooshing sound and flew straight up, according to Burns. Burns told his wife and decided to keep his sighting quiet until he saw a report by WSVA a few days later about a UFO club at Eastern Mennonite College. He decided to share his story. Jim Shipp of WSVA interviewed Burns about his sighting and a professor at EMU who was in the UFO club went to the landing site with a Geiger counter. He reportedly picked up readings of over 60,000 counts per minute and the sighting was reported to Project Blue Book at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Agents from the top secret program, Project Blue Book, were dispatched to investigate, including Sergeant David Moody, who was one of Blue Book's top investigators. After their arrival at the airport, word spread that military investigators were in town investigating the reported landing. So you know, it tells you right there the attitude, top secret. That's kind of the opposite of disclosure. Anyway, it goes on and says, a reporter asked what he thought about the sighting, and Monty told the reporter, this is an unusual sighting. If it was routine, we wouldn't be here. 
goes on, it says, Burns sighting was on December 21st, 1964, but Blue Book didn't arrive until mid-January of 1965. <laughs> they were in a real hurry. During those few weeks between the events, more sightings took place between Harrisonburg and Staunton, including a 10-year-old who claimed to see a metallic ship in the sky over Waynesboro, near where Burns sighting happened. There was an excitement in the air when the sightings first started because this was something new to the area. People must have felt like they were in some science fiction movie. The excitement didn't last long, though. An article dated February 1, 1965 from the Journal Herald newspaper in Dayton, Ohio, says almost daily Virginians are reporting Ohio sightings and some claim to see Martians running around at night. A quote from Augusta County Sheriff John Kent put it simply, this thing has gotten completely out of hand. Well, there you go. People begin to report the things. They begin to see them. There's a UFO wave and law enforcement reacts by just trying to debunk everybody. Sightings were getting closer and people, especially around Staunton, were concerned that local law enforcement was not enough to keep them and their families safe. Different newspapers from Augusta County and even Richmond referenced armed groups patrolling the roads looking for UFOs. And the Journal Herald even mentioned an encounter where a man dressed up as an alien for a joke and was almost shot by three people one night. Yeah, that's why you don't want to do that, I think. While all of these sightings were going on, Blue Book was trying to keep a low profile as, the, as they investigated the sightings, but they were finding that to be an almost impossible task. Reporters came to know where they were going to be at all times, and, and Moody, it looks like this guy's misspelled his name a couple times, so I apologize for my mispronunciation, was interviewed several times by different reporters. Every time he was interviewed, he assured everyone that there was nothing to fear, but there was something strange going on. This was strange coming from Moody, who had a track record of immediately dismissing sightings and people. Something was different about this. Well, apparently there were so many people seeing this thing that they just couldn't, you know, they just couldn't debunk it any longer. It goes on, it says Project Blue Book was formed in 1952 following Project Sign and Project Grudge. The purpose of Blue Book was to investigate and explain reported sightings of UFOs and provide scientific explanations to the general public. Blue Book was created by the United States Air Force and operated at a Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. Yeah, it almost sounds like it, at best it was created to uh, make a limited hangout. Between 1952 and 1969, Blue Book would investigate over 12,000 UFO sightings and 701 of them would be listed as unexplained. Some people probably did overreact to these UFO sightings and think maybe the end of the world was coming, but that doesn't mean that everybody reacted that way. This just continues on even to this day with, you know, more UFO sightings, more Bigfoot sightings, and this overlaps with, with the missing people. It's just almost like I said, it's like some kind of a vortex happening there where you're not sure if these things are connected or not. Now, this article here is from ufo-hunters.com. It says, Shenandoah National Park, Virginia, sighted on Friday the 27th, February 2015, reported Sunday the 1st on March 2015 point of light we went again tonight and tonight was a lot more intense the same light was there doing the same thing then suddenly a second light appeared up in the sky and a heck of a lot closer my girlfriend said she wanted to take a picture she grabbed her phone and the light started moving again then boom gone suddenly natasha fell she said she felt drained. My whole body hurts, and she could barely keep her eyes open. I decided we should leave. Then, as I was talking about leaving, five more lights appeared. 
doing the same thing on a far ridge. We decided to leave. I drove most of the way back. Around 12.54, the radio cut off and made weird booming and buzzing noises. It did it twice. We feel like we're being followed. I can't explain how weird tonight has been. Something is going on up at Brown Mountain. Well, we've heard about Brown Mountain before and the Brown Mountain Lights. Definitely something is going on up there. So I want to finish up here with one more Bigfoot report uh, coming out of Shenandoah uh, National Park. A lot of weird stuff going on out there. This is from uh, phantomsandmonsters.com. I'll put these links over at the Buy Me Coffee website if I can get onto that and the Ko-Fi website as well. This says, my story is scary and I have been reluctant to mention it over the years. A few friends and family have been told, though I doubt that any of them believe me. The girlfriend who was with me at the time was deeply affected by the encounter, so much so that she has never really been the same since. In the summer of 2016, my then-girlfriend and I were camping in the Lewis Mountain Campground, which is near Skyline Drive in the Shenandoah National Park. We had been there several times before, and we always enjoyed our time there. I set up a large tent and separate canopy. There were no other campers within 100 yards, but we could hear others in our proximity. We spent most of the daytime hiking throughout the area. The second night, a Saturday, early Sunday morning, we were fast asleep. We had been out and about all day and were very tired. I believe it was approximately 1 a.m. when we were both awoken by a crashing sound outside the tent. I looked out the flap but couldn't see anything, so I got up with the lantern and walked to the canopy. I noticed that the camp stove had tipped over. I assumed it was the wind or that one of the legs had given away. I shrugged it off and went back to the tent. I hadn't gone back to sleep when I heard a strange chattering sound. It reminded me of the sound of a monkey that it makes when agitated. I looked out the tent and this time I noticed a tall shadow standing by the canopy. I woke my girlfriend and asked her to look. She was frightened but eventually took a look. By this time the shadow was moving slowly around the camp and making low deep grunts. The first thing I thought was that a black bear was looking for a meal, but I then realized that this shadow was extremely tall and walking on two legs. I grabbed a flashlight and directed it toward the shadow. When I did, this shadow quickly materialized into a huge hairy beast that lunged toward us. We both bolted back into the tent and cowered against the far side. The grunts continued as this beast walked around the tent. I tried to call for help on my phone, but the signal cut out each time it connected. We were horrified by the ordeal, which continued for about 10 minutes. We were afraid to scream because we feared it would attack us. Eventually, the beast left the camp, but we stayed awake the rest of the night. We packed in daylight and quickly left. I later contacted the park authorities, but they dismissed my story. I'm sure this beast was what people call a Bigfoot. My girlfriend and I soon broke off our relationship, but she has had emotional issues since that encounter. I have had bad dreams at times and have never camped since. Thanks for reading, JK. Man, that must have been a really frightening situation. Then it goes on and says, I called JK and we talked about the incident. He did say that it was a bit windy that night, but he does believe the camp stove was toppled by the Bigfoot. He also stated that Bigfoot bared his teeth when it lunged toward the tent and that it batted at the front of the tent a few times. It's almost kind of like it's uh, not really trying to hurt them but more that it's just trying to scare them but you have to wonder if sometimes these things don't just kind of go off and go a little further down that path to where 
they actually injure people or even worse. I know it's hard for some people to accept that these Bigfoots or other cryptids are somehow UFO related, but to me, it all makes sense if you think of these UFOs as being somehow interdimensional. Maybe when they come into our reality, they're bringing other things with them. And that would make a lot more sense to me as to why these things can't be tracked and captured or we don't find dead bodies. It's almost as if they're coming into and out of our reality. And as if there are certain hot spots, such as this Shenandoah Valley uh, Park there, which is just what uh, an hour's drive or so away from um, our own U.S. capital. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.